Let's pray. We'll take a look at the book of Acts. God, thank you so much for being so good, Lord. Song is true. How marvelous and how wonderful, God. And we look forward to the day when we'll be with you, Lord, the ransomed in glory. I thank you that we are the ransomed, that, that we are called the redeemed. I thank you, Father, there's a seal upon our forehead that calls us a child of God. We are the children of the King, joint heirs with Christ. God, there is... Well, there's such an amazing excitement when we think about all that you've done for us and all that you've promised for us, God. And I thank you for the promises. God, we thank you for the eternal security, God, that's there. Lord, I thank you for this book. Lord, I thank you for this word, for its guidance, for its teaching, for its love, its compassion. And, and God, it's certainly like your word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, like, like you put it there to cut, dividing the soul and and piercing asunder, God, and sometimes we teach things and preach things and study things that cuts, God, but it's, it's always working to make us better, Father. It's working to do exactly what we ask you to do, to make us more like you and to make us closer to you, that we may walk pleasing to you, Father. I pray you take this word tonight, God. I ask you to, to teach it to each one of us, Father. I pray you'd strengthen us and encourage us that we walk out a better servant. It is our heart's desire to be pleasing to you, Lord. We love you, we trust you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, um, last week we kind of left off in the middle. Um, <coughs> I'm going to pick up about verse number 20 because I think at the end that was about where we left off. We were just getting to where Peter was making his main point. We looked at things Peter had to say last week and what he talked about. But he finally here starts getting around to what his main point was in the first place. And his main point was Judas Iscariot is gone and we need to replace him. The 12 has become 11, and we need to put another man in. He says in verse number 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was sure named Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. They that gave forth their lots, or they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. So verse number 20 Peter quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from the book of Psalms, but he actually uses two different passages and puts them together here. The, fir the first part of the quote, let their habitation be desolate, comes from Psalm chapter 69 and verse 25. Then he goes to Psalms 109 and verse number 8, let his bishop prick, let another take. That, that is his servanthood, that is the position that he had. He, the, the apostles are... Um, stand in place of the kings, if you will. There's servants of the king sent on their behalf. And it says there's another to take his place. But there's, there's two words that are translated to another. When Peter's talking about another, it's translated here. There's two different words. One of them means that we need another like him. Or the other translation means we need another different than him. And, and that's the word that Peter uses here when we translate it to another Another in the English language simply just means another, but it's actually two different meanings that it's translated over here. So what Peter's meaning, we don't need another one like Judas, who appeared before men to be holy on the outside like the Pharisees. He fooled all of us, 
he fooled everybody else around him, so he appeared to be one thing on the outside, but he was clearly something different on the inside. So we need somebody that's different than that. Verse 21, 22 says, Wherefore these men, which have company with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, and that same day which he's taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness of his resurrection. So we see that according to Peter, and I say that according to Peter, Peter's the one talking here, Peter's the one speaking, he's not filled with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost ain't come yet. So according to Peter, what it says here is that it's important that whoever they picked must have walked with them when Jesus was here. According to Peter, it seems to be important that this person must have seen the miracles that Jesus did. He must have eyewitnessed maybe the crucifixion and was there and eyewitnessed the resurrection. Now, as we were closing last week and we left off here, I said, I'm going to share next week with you about two opinions uh, about who this 12th person is. Because there are two, like a lot of things in the Word of God, there, there are two formed opinions and and both of these have some really good reason for why they believe what they believe for some of them they believe that the disciples here acted out of place they believe that that peter stepped up and initiated this he, he put this in but the truth is the holy spirit has not come yet so they should have waited for the holy spirit to come and give them guidance. Remember what Jesus told them? Go back to Jerusalem and what? Wait. They were given no other instructions. So those who think along those lines think that the 12th spot there was filled, honestly, like everything else, before the beginning of time. God already had his 12th apostle figured. He already knew Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. He already knew about that because it all talked about how the prophets foretold. And it said that he, that only one was lost and he that the scripture might be fulfilled. So all that was already done. So they believe that, that obviously God already had his 12th apostle and that person would have been the apostle Paul, who Jesus Christ himself met face to face and personally called on that road to Damascus experience. Some of their justification of the belief here of these two men that are reason, and then Matthias is the one that Lot falls on, and they call him numbered in the twelve. Somebody tell me what book of the Bible he wrote. Somebody tell me the miracles you read about that he did. Somebody tell me about anything else you've ever heard about him. Were they married? Did they have any children? Did they travel with the disciples? Did they establish any churches? Were they, uh, were, were they like young Timothy, maybe associate-type pastors to the apostles? The truth is, we don't really hear anything else for them, but here, here's the reality. The apostles are incredible men. The apostles are men that are anointed of God. The apostles are men that are empowered by God. They are the men who founded the church. Make no mistake about it. The church doesn't begin until the Holy Spirit comes. They're the one responsible for founding the church, putting the church in place, carrying out the preaching of the gospel, telling the story of the resurrection. They're the ones responsible for the writings of the New Testament. So we know nothing else about those men, except they were mentioned in the text, and that these the, the apostles here with 120 people in this upper room, the apostles got together and, and cast lots and voted. Now, 
For others, they believed that Matthias was the right choice. The reason they would believe that is because until the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, until the Holy Spirit got here, the church age had not yet begun. The dispensation period of grace had not yet begun. Technically, we're still in the old age. We're still under the dispensation period of the law. At least they are. Yes, Christ has been crucified. Yes, Jesus Christ is resurrected. Yes, Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father to be seated there to make intercession on our behalf. But the Holy Spirit has not come, and the church has not yet been established. So, if they're still under the original age and still under the original dispensation, then the Old Testament style of making decision was casting lots. The, the priests used the Urim and the Thummim, and they prayed. They put the things in the pouch. It was like casting lots. So, what they believe is that this would have been done right because it was still done according to the, the way that they always had in the casting of the lots. The church age is that time, if you study the book of Daniel and you look, it's that time between the 69th and the 70th week, and it does not begin until the coming of the Holy Spirit. It'll end at the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. I preached on this about three weeks ago, when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the end of the church age. So it began on the day of Pentecost. It will end on the day when the trumpet sounds, and, and we rise up to meet Jesus in the air. Anybody excited? So it really, for those who believe that, that Matthias was the right thing to do, they, they are saying it's because the church age had not yet begun. So they did what they should have done by, by the casting of the lots. And it also, they, they, there's some justification. They say these men, as we studied last week, had been together daily doing what? Praying in one accord. Man, I thought that was an important thing we talked about last week. They were daily together doing what? Praying in one accord. So because they had been together praying, then, then you could rightfully say that, that they were led, they felt directed to, to cast the lots here. Now, for, for one, you could say, well, it really doesn't matter, Matthias, the Apostle Paul, I mean, as long as it was 12, right? As long as the spot was filled. But there, there really is some importance to it. Now, number one, there, there's never been a, a human position outside of what Christ came and did for us. There's never been a human position on earth comparable to that of the apostles. There, there's never been anybody else who had what they had. That kind of power, apostolic power, Jesus gave them the same powers that he had. I mean, they were able to heal the sick. They were able to raise the dead. They were able to cast out demons in, in the name of Jesus. They had incredible powers. Not only that, but in the city of God, in the Bible in Revelation, when it talks about this city, this great city we're going to see, the Bible tells us that there's 12 gates, right? And that each gate is of a single pearl. The Bible says that the city has 12 foundations, true? What's written on the foundations? The names of the apostles. So whose name's written there? 
Who, who's the 12th name on the foundation of the city of God? Is it Matthias? Is it the Apostle Paul? It's got to be one because it clearly tells us there's 12 foundations on the names of the foundation or, or the 12 apostles. We know it's there. So, so at least there, there is some importance there to it. For me personally, um, I, I'll tell you, just from studies, I lean towards it being the Apostle Paul. Um, and, I, and I'll continue to give it both sides. But, but here's, here's the deal for me. Jesus Christ personally called every apostle. Face-to-face, one-on-one, the same type of description as to Peter and his brother to, to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So to, for me, every one of the original 12 was called personally by Jesus Christ. One was the son of perdition. He's gone. Matthias was never called by Jesus Christ. He was voted in by the others. But he never had the face-to-face call. The Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul met Christ face-to-face who called him in the exact same way. So it was after the resurrection. It makes no difference. When he said, who out there, Lord? And he said, Jesus whom thou persecutest. He, he was the one. So Jesus came and, and made this personal and, and called them there. So the other side is that Peter here in this text he, he gives three pivotal points, if you would, about the public life of Christ. It said beginning at the baptism, you've got the resurrection, you've got the ascension. It was at the baptism where Jesus Christ made himself known and was allowed for himself to be made known to men as the Messiah. It was where he was introduced. It's where John the Baptist fully recognized him as exactly who he was. John chapter 1, verse 30 this is he of whom I said, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So here he's talking about a man. I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. This is his confirmation. I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So it is at the baptism where Jesus Christ formally is allowed to be introduced as the Son of God, the Messiah who has come to save sinners. It's through the resurrection that the apostles had their doubts removed, especially Thomas. But Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. Peter and John had their doubts when they were running to the empty tomb that day. They didn't run to see the empty tomb. They ran to find out what was going on. They, they ran to find out what was there, but all of their doubts were removed on that. So the resurrection, if you know, became the focal point of their teaching. That's why the Sadducees hated them, because the Sadducees do not believe at all in the resurrection. So that's why when they'd be preaching, if the Sadducees were present, they would, some, in some cases, would try to stone them. They'd run them out of town because they didn't agree with, with the teaching. But then they were all present at the ascension. They all saw the Lord Jesus Christ as he ascended up into the heavens. They were all there as he taught them in the final words. They were all there when the two men in white apparel, the angels told them, y'all don't worry about it. 
Don't be all upset. The same Jesus that went up through them clouds is going to come back. The same way you saw him go is the same way that he's going to come. So Peter lays out some criteria, if you will, or some guidelines as to what this 12th person has to meet. They appointed the two, Joseph called Barsabas, sure named Justice and Matthias. They prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two men thou hast chosen. So there, there's some good reference here to why Matthias could be the one. There, there's some good points to those who believe it this way, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots. And I've said this before, um, and, and I want to make sure you don't take this too casual. Lots is kind of like spin the bottle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what spin the bottle is? Wherever it lands, that's who's up. The difference in casting lots of the Old Testament is it is fully believed that that bottle is controlled by the hand of God. Lord, I need you to show me your answer. Kind of like, y'all know, y'all got, anybody got one of those spin dials, you know, on things to do today that talks about work or cut the grass or do chores for the wife or really that's probably the only three and the other ten are all about go fishing, go hunting, take a day off, play golf, take a nap, you know, you got all the good things, but you spin it. It's kind of like I pray really hard, Lord, make this thing land on the right spot because I don't feel like doing no chores right now. So the, the, the difference in, in this casting of the lots, this isn't just a, Luck of the draw. They fully believe that whatever they put out is guided by God. And we see them here. We see them them praying and asking God to guide this decision. So there's good biblical reason to take Matthias as the 12. And, And a lot of people believe that he might probably well was the number 12. So here's my opinion. And this is all it is. I have every right to be wrong just like everybody else. Peter laid out these these guidelines, and I do believe that Peter is led of God. I do believe that Peter is an incredible man of God. I believe that that Peter is an incredible preacher. You know, even Paul reprimanded Peter, though. I mean, Peter even got some things wrong, and and the apostle Paul had to go text and straighten some things out because he was acting like a Jew around a Jew and a Gentile around a Gentile, and Paul was like, no, uh -uh. uh-uh, that ain't going to cut it, man. That circumcision has nothing to do with this. And, and, and that's a little further down the line. But I just know, and we know from study, Peter's talked out of turn more than once. Peter, Peter's had some, had some things to say that weren't directed by the Holy Spirit, that weren't directed by the hand of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus told Peter, Get thee behind me who? Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter was directed to say something, but obviously directed by the wrong one because he was trying to say, no, nobody's going to crucify you. But the Lord knew that he came for the crucifixion. So knowing what we know a little bit about Peter, it's not overly unusual for for Peter to, to have a little something to say. I don't know from Scripture... Anywhere in here where it says that the apostle had to walk with Jesus Christ while he was alive on this earth. 
I don't see where the scripture says that he had to have eyewitnessed the crucifixion. He had to have eyewitnessed the miracles that Jesus did, where he had to eyewitness the ascension. What I do see as an apostle had to be called of Jesus Christ. He had to see Christ face to face, and he had to be given the apostolic powers by Jesus Christ. I do have that from the apostle Paul. Verse number 4 and 5 here in Acts chapter 1, we looked at a... um, Not sure when we looked at it. That might have been a while back. Being assembled together with them, this is Jesus talking, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait's a big deal, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for truly, for John truly baptized with water, but that ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So all I see from Scripture and what Christ gave him to do is go to Jerusalem. All 120 of you, you're in the upper room, you go there and wait. I don't see an assignment given by God. I don't see an assignment given by Christ. I don't see go back and pray and and fill the 12th spot. I don't see anything mentioned about that. So, again, I don't know that it really matters in what we believe, but it's a good study point. It's one of those things, kind of like in the beginning when God said, let there be light, and there was the light, There, there was light. God saw the light was good, and God divided the light from the dark. What was the light? Most people write out about it say it was the sun. No, it's not, because in verse number, number, number 16, it says he made the greater light rule the day, the lesser light rule the night. And then it kind of throws in, by the way, he made the stars also. So it wasn't the sun, so what was the light? Well, I can tell you this, you can't prove that studying the Word of God. At least I couldn't in a year and a half. Took me a year and a half to give up. In conclusion, I I believe it's probably the light of God because it's the same Hebrew word. When God led them in a cloud by day and a fire by night to give them light, it was the same light that was used back over here. But you can't prove what the light was. And if God is light, then why would God need to say, let there be light? Agreed? Anybody still with me? I'm just giving you some stuff you might want to study on. So I, I don't know that if God made the light or if he made the light directional because if God's a light, and he is, God's a consuming light, would have been everything. There wouldn't have been any darkness at all, right? Because there's no darkness in the presence of God. So it had to be something. What was the light? It's just a good study point. It's kind of the same with Matthias and with the Apostle Paul. Here, let, let, let me tell you, let me tell you where I'm giving this. When you begin studying tidbits, just, just call it. It may not be important to us because it ain't our name that is written, going to be written on the foundations of the city of God, right? But when you begin studying tidbits, you're going to learn stuff that you didn't have a clue. God, God will begin to show you stuff. If you just pick up little reference points, things to study and start putting them in. So at any rate, if you want to put it there, I just, I've got my opinion of what it is. But chapter 2 goes on, and it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. The day of Pentecost has happened more than 1,500 times. The day of Pentecost is a time, it's after the seven weeks of seven, the Feast of Weeks, it's the 50th day. There's been more than 1,500 times that, that it has come and gone. The, the number 50 always represents the Holy Spirit. There's, there's no accident that when God put Pentecost in place, that it comes after the seven weeks of seven, after the Feast of Weeks. It is the first day of the week, which is the 50th day. That's not an accident because... And several hundred years later, God's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send it on that day, which is the 50th day, the seven weeks of seven. It's the completion of the seven weeks. The number seven, of course, is completion and perfection of the Word of God, right? Right? 
Three people are still awake. I was just checking. In the Old Testament, we look at the Feast of Weeks, look at the sacrifice, look at the things leading up to in the Feast of Weeks, getting to, getting up to the Passover. When you get to the Passover, the Jews were to take individual stalks, individual grains of corn, and they're to grind them into flour. And in that flour, they are to mix oil and leaven. That's important. Both of those are important. And they're to make two loaves of bread. They're to sacrifice seven lambs. These lambs have to be the first male lamb of a sheep. They have to be unspotted and unblemished. These have to be perfect lambs. They sacrifice seven of these. The number seven, again, is completion and perfection. They were to sacrifice one young bullock for the sin offering and then two rams for a burnt offering. Ten sacrifices in all. Seven is completion and perfection. And three is the resurrection. And ten is testimony, which is the testimony of the law of God. So the numbers all even work together surrounding this. But, but in the Old Testament, everything is a typology of what is to come. Everything is a forerunner. You look at the temple, you look at the veil, you look at the Holy of Holies, you look at the mercy seat that was upon the Ark of the Covenant, you look at all of the sacrifices and the perfect unspotted lamb. Everything is a typology. Everything in that temple, everything surrounding the Jewish nation is pointing towards Jesus Christ and the New Testament church. And it points towards the, the crucifixion, it points towards the resurrection, and it points towards this day of Pentecost. Everything in the day of Pentecost for years has been a representation of what takes place on this 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ always been on the 50th day, it's always the first day of the week. It is the symbolic end of the Sabbath day, and it is the symbolic or consecration of the new day. The time has passed. This is the new day. After the Feast of Weeks, coming up to the day of Pentecost, everything, all the sin sacrifice that was done, it is the culmination of that. It is the end of that period. It is the beginning. It marks the beginning uh, of the new period. Now, it says that oil is added to that flower. Oil, of course, is always representation of the Holy Spirit anywhere in the Word of God. But it says that leaven is added. Somebody tell me what leaven represents in the Bible. Come on, man. This is Sunday school class. This is Wednesday night crowd. Everybody here knows what leaven represents in the Bible. Somebody talk out loud. What does leaven represent in the Bible? Are y'all bashful? Leaven always represents sin. It's always a picture. Leaven is always a representation of sin. It was forbidden for the Jews to eat leavened bread at, at any of the feasts. It was forbidden for Jews to eat leavened bread. You remember the night of the Passover? Leavened bread. You know, when, when we do communion, that is unleavened. You have to get those crackers. You can't use leaven. Leaven's what makes it rise. To be honest, it's what makes it good. I ain't got time to preach on that, but I shouldn't even mention that. They had to eat unleavened bread at, at all of the other sacrifices. They, they were forbidden to have leaven in any of the other meal offerings. But here at Pentecost, they have to add it. See, it, it represents here the church. The leaven is put in. This is the beginning of the church today at Pentecost. But anybody know that the church is not yet without sin? 
Y'all was sleeping in here on a Wednesday night. Boy, I knew y'all was tired before we ever got started. There's still sin in the camp. The church is far from perfect. There's still sin in the church, and there's still sin in the members of the church, but not forever. Jesus Christ is coming, and when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But until then, anybody in here besides me, this is going to be a wake-up check. If you don't raise your hand, I know you are out cold, done took your medicine, down for the night. Anybody in here beside me battle the flesh on a daily basis? Some of you are still awake. Praise God. Thank you. So, after the seven spotted lambs, the burnt offering was followed by the one kid goat for the sin offering, the two rams for the peace offering. Now we've got to go back to the beginning of the Feast of Weeks for a minute. Because at the Feast of the First Fruits, they had to take individual... Man, this, this is good. I don't know why somebody ain't excited. I've been excited all day about teaching it, just studying this. At the beginning of, of, of the Feast of the First Fruits, they had to take individual stalks of grain, and they had to bind them together loosely in a bundle. Everybody with me? So you got all these stalks loosely bound together. It, it is to symbolize the resurrection of Christ, and victory over the grave. So you got at, at the beginning of this, at the Feast of the First Fruits, you've got all of these stalks that are put together. But at Pentecost, these stalks and the grain, everything is ground into a flour, and it is baked into one loaf to represent everything becomes one. Isn't that good right there? So, so it, it is a picture on the day of Pentecost, you had 120 people in this room, and on that day the Holy Spirit came in and united as the church that they became one body. We as the church, we are the body of Christ, and that's what the loaf represents, but I said there was two loaves, right? So if there's two loaves, how could it represent one body? Well, Again, this was the Old Testament typology looking forward. When you came in, the, the, the apostles were sent to preach to who? The house of Israel. When, when they first started out, they were at Jerusalem. Their deal was to preach to the fallen house of Israel. They, they were preached to, to the unbelieving Jews. And we're going to cover this when we get to chapter 10, but, but I, I need to read it here for a minute. Everybody remembers Peter's dream, right? Peter had a dream. God showed him some animals, told him to take, kill, and eat. He said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean, right? Y'all know the story? How many times did it happen? Good night alive. Y'all holding out on me. So three times, God sends a thing down. He sees it spread out like a sheep. Like it's on a sheet, and God says, no, I'm not. Uh, Peter says, I'm not doing that. I've never eaten anything unclean. God says, what God has called clean, call thou not unclean. So what is he telling him? Well, at the same time of the vision that Peter's having a vision over here, another vision just had happened over here by a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is what? He is a Gentile, uncircumcised non-Jew, who the Holy Spirit of God is talking to. And Cornelius has a vision, and Cornelius' vision says, send some men over here to get Peter. Peter's over here having a vision going, God, what are you talking about? Unthing, unclean things are made clean. You've been told my whole life not to eat all this unclean stuff, and now you're saying made clean. What are you talking about? And about that time, 
hey, who's at the door? The men that came for Cornelius' house. From, what, what are they coming for? To tell him because he was sent to get Peter. All of a sudden, Peter starts putting some things together. He gets to Cornelius' house, and he realizes what God's talking about unclean. All my life, I've called the Gentile unclean. All my life, they were nothing but dogs. All my life, they were unfit and unworthy. But now God, through a vision, has sent me through a vision to him and a vision to me to get me here to tell them. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34, we'll cover it when we get there. But Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Whosoever, anybody a whosoever? Whoo! The word of God, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing that were oppressed, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he both did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify, which was ordained of God to be to judge of, of quick and dead. Verse 43 of Acts chapter 10, to give him all the prophets' witnesses that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. In God's eyes for the church age, there is no longer Jew and Gentile. Boy, that's good right there. Somebody had to go. I didn't even see nobody write a note in your Bible. I spent all that time and didn't nobody get nothing good out of that. God has taken all of us, all of the stalks, and made us one. We are the mystical body of Christ here in this earth. Now, oh, I'm out of time, but I, oh, my goodness. They, they always run over down over the kids anyway. Verse number two, we're going to look at at least one more. Verse number 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. Another important part of this text, it doesn't say that there was a mighty rushing wind. It says there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The sound of the mighty rushing wind announced the presence of the Holy Spirit. The wind is somewhat of a symbol of the Holy Spirit because the wind, like the Holy Spirit, it has no boundaries. The Holy Spirit goes wherever he pleases. He is controlled by no man. Nobody can start him. Nobody can stop him. He fills all the earth. He cannot be contained. He cannot be cornered, and he cannot be ruled by any man. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus that night, told him to set the man be born again. He shall not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, but how can a man be born again when he is old? He didn't understand some things. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. But in verse number 8, Jesus says, the wind bloweth where it listeth. That word listeth means the wind bloweth wherever it determines. It blows wherever it prefers. It blows anywhere that it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Holy Spirit. So we have the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but we don't have the feeling of the wind. See, that's important. Some of you, you may remember, it's been for a pretty long while back. I preached a message, and the title of it was, It's Not About Feeling, It's About Faith. A lot of people want to feel something. i got to feel something first. A lot of people, if I could feel God and I could see God, then I'll believe in God. That's not the way God works. Faith comes first. It, it is by hearing. It's in the gospel, Romans, or in the gospels, in the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So these in the house heard it. Nobody else heard it. But, but it was the entrance of the Holy Spirit. So today, people like, well, if I could just hear him, if I could just see you witness people, they say, I've never seen God. And that's part of what we used to. You ain't never seen the wind either, but you believe it. You ain't ever seen your breath, but you breathe it. So, so people want to, they want to see things first, but faith has to come first. There's no emphasis here on, on feeling the wind or seeing the wind simply on what they heard. Verse number 3, there appointed, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them. The typology of the fire represents what the Holy Spirit does in each of our lives. I'm going to have to hit this one real quick, and we'll have to stop, um, bad as I hate to. But, but so the, the fire represents some things. Number one, fire represents light. You know, before electricity and light bulbs, fire was the only light you had at night, right? So, so it represents a, a, a light. But, but Jesus told us that we are the light of the world. How many of you had any light in you at all before you got saved? We were filled with darkness. The Scripture tells us that it's nothing but darkness. So the Holy Spirit, the fire represents the light. When the Holy Spirit came into us, that's what made us the light of the world. We weren't the light of the world prior to. We had nothing to offer, but a fire also represents what? Heat, yeah. I heard heat. It's, it's a warmth, and the fire represents something warm. It, it, is, it is the warmness of the Holy Spirit that moves into us and, and makes us genuine, makes us real. The reason we have a connection between Christians, we feel that warmness. We feel that togetherness. We feel that oneness. That oneness is the Holy Spirit. There is a warmness in us that makes no sense. We didn't used to have it. How many of you, before you got saved, gave two cents about anybody else that you didn't even know? How many of you, before you got saved, found yourself laying awake in your bed at night, praying for lost souls to be saved? You're praying for people you ain't never met all around the world, and you two didn't give a, a, a two cents about. But now you find yourself laying awake at night in the bed. God, help us to reach lost sinners. Put somebody in front of us tomorrow. Use my life for you tomorrow. Help me to tell somebody about the glorious gospel tomorrow. Help me to find one of those whited tomorrow. You said the fields are, are whited under harvest. Help me to find one of those that are just about ready, one that's already been planted, one that's already been watered, and, and is ready to come up. Use me tomorrow to reach somebody. Who is somebody? I don't have no idea, and you don't either. 
Why do you even care? Because there's a warmness of the Holy Spirit that moves inside of us and fills us. That, that old things pass away and we become something new. It doesn't just cause us to love each other. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. That's not the only love we have. We have a love for people we have no reason to care about. Jesus said, love the enemy, those who persecute you and spitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. How do you do that? You have the light and the warmness of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's what we see in the two representation of things that came and fell upon them. But something else to notice there when I'm looking at this text is equally important is you notice that he fell equally on everybody. Anybody ever feel left out? Anybody ever feel like you ain't enough? Anybody ever feel like some, somebody else is closer to God than you are? or some, God gives somebody else something to know? No, the Holy Spirit descended on Peter and on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and on John and on Andrew and on Thomas and on Matthias and on the least of whoever was least in that room. The Holy Spirit fell equally on every one of them the same way he did on you and I. There is no big doses, little doses. When we got saved, we get saved to the uttermost. And, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit and anointed is two different things. You are anointed to do things. You know, there's an anointing to preach. There's an anointing to teach. There's an anointing to sing. There's an anointing to witness. There's an anointing to be used at work. There's an anointing to pick up a phone call when God leads to call somebody. An anointing and being filled with the Spirit is not the same thing. When you are born again, child of the living God, ask Christ to save you, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Those people who say, well, I'm working my way towards being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you how to do that. You need to get saved. It's not something you earn. It's not something you work your way into. You don't get a little bit one day and work up until you get it. You, when you are born again, you are filled. The Holy Spirit moves into us. He doesn't come in in parts. All things are passed away immediately, not little by little. It's like the day of Pentecost. There is a division. It meant that the Sabbath was ended, the seven weeks of seven was ended, the new time begins. On this day, everything behind them is over. Somebody's a Christian. I ought to really like this. Everything behind them doesn't matter anymore. The entire age has changed. The entire dispensation period of God has changed. Everything back there doesn't count against you anymore. You just entered into the age of the church, into the dispensation period of grace, and you are a new creature in Christ. The day you got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, is the same thing. You were filled with that same light, filled with that same warmth, and everything behind that day in your life don't matter no more. That's a good spot to stop and go home. I'm glad we made it to there. I was going to try to finish at least that one page, but I think I might ought to stop right there. That's so good. Yeah, I think we'll just leave it right there. Anybody, that'd be a good place to leave. My past is past, and it's past and past. It don't matter no more. Whew, God, thank you so much, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You promised that if you went that the Father would send us another comforter. God, you didn't tell us how good he was going to be. You didn't tell us how powerful he's going to be. God, I can't, I can't say that I understood before that, Lord Jesus, that, that when you said the Father would send a comforter, that, 
that I knew he was going to be somebody that would walk with me and talk with me. And Lord, hold our hand through sickness and encourage us when we're down and, and, and be there in the dark times and be somebody that we could talk to and that, that he would talk to you, that he would take my prayers that make no sense and they're all messed up and he would put them into words that I can't even understand so that they carry power and give them to you that you could turn to the Father and give them my prayers, God. I, I didn't know how good the Holy Spirit was going to be, Father. Lord, even growing up in church and hearing about it, I never understood what the feeling of the Holy Spirit would be like. But thank you for the sweetness of the Spirit, God. Thank you for the goodness, Father. Thank you that we can come together washed in the blood, but that we can come together filled with the Spirit, that we are called one body of Christ. God, we love you, Father. You've been good to us. Lord, I pray that as we go out, will you make us usable vessels, Father? Help us, Lord to reach the lost. Help us that people would see the light of Christ in us, feel the warmth and the love of Christ in us. May the Holy Spirit work through us that that would happen, God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate y'all being here. I think a couple of you might have napped through it, but some, some, somebody might have got something, man. I just... I, I, really, I really enjoy studying this book, man. There, there's just so much good stuff. And you break down, there's just a lot of little hidden nuggets in it. Anybody like nuggets? And I love nuggets. I love little things. You look, and you're like, oh, I ain't never seen that before, man. I mean, that's just, I love little things. There's, there's a lot of them stashed away in this book. So I, I pray the Lord would use this for probably going to be months to come getting through this book. But. There's a lot of good little tidbits in there. So, well, God bless you. Love y'all.